This is a HeadGum Podcast. This is why, this is why, pop culture, politics, friendship, dating, work, parenting, news. This is why, the podcast. Welcome to the This Is Why podcast. I'm journalist, author, and comedy writer, Laura Lane. And I'm author and editor, Angela Sparrow. We are the co-writers of the book, This Is Why You're Single. Every week, we give best friend advice on topics including pop culture, news, friendship, dating, workplace dynamics, parenting, and whatever else is on your mind. This week's episode is called How to Write a Book. This was a topic request from one of our listeners. We'll be answering your questions, including one listener who wants to know about freelancing and another wondering if she should copyright a title she wants for a book. Then we're talking about what's in the news. Time Out New York closes its print edition and Megan and Harry move to Santa Barbara. But first, Angela, what's going on in your week? Well, I waited a bit to tell you guys, but if you remember, we had talked about on a previous episode that I lost my job in the middle of the pandemic, but luckily I found another one. Yay. Which was so fast. Which was so fast. I, um, yeah, I was pretty excited about it. I actually wound up not really having a gap in employment, uh, which I actually, that was a total accident. I kind of wanted a little, I was looking forward to a little downtime, but it's fine. I'm grateful. I'm very grateful. Um, But something that was very weird about the situation initially was they would not commit to giving me a schedule. Like I, it became clear that it wasn't going it's like it's not entirely full time which is fine but they wouldn't tell me what my hours were and I kept asking and they would be like uh I don't know we'll figure it out and I'd be like no but like well, when I need do to I figure out my up? I need to figure out my paycheck right well that's it's like I'm like okay great I know my hourly rate what are my hours um and uh like it's so weird because when you're working from home like if I was showing up to an office, it would be like, okay, I'm here from this time to this time, so you pay me for that time. But working remotely, it's like technically I could be in front of my computer all day, but my oh. time is valuable. Oh, you mean so they were like, they were like, we'll just email you when there's work. They want you just like waiting around for them. So that's fine. I think that I think that ideally that's what they wanted, and that's insane. What I was pretty proud of was like if this had been like five years ago. Honestly, like three years ago, when I was younger and less experienced, I feel like I would have just been like, okay, I'll put up with that because I want the job and I don't want to piss them off, which would have been stupid. And then you would have been like, you would have been just like in front of your computer, maybe not like actually doing work, but like you might as well be because you can't do anything else with your free time. And it's not like you could try to freelance or do something else because you would not know when like some task would pop up. And so, you would be working exactly. like a full-time job, but only getting paid for, you know, maybe two hours that they message you work, which is not cool. Exactly. So I really feel like I am proud of the confidence that I have gained over the years because I was like, you know, my time is valuable. Like I could, I mean, I'm not taking on other jobs, but what if I was? <laughs> <laughs> I could be doing that. So I like was very firm and I like put my foot down and I was like, you need to give me a schedule. And, was like, this over email? For, wait, tell us, tell like, her. Even if I'm, it wait, was in writing. Pa- I was going to say pause because I, this actually, I feel like this story you're telling are a lot of our listeners might actually find very helpful exactly how this went down. Would you be willing to read the email? Of, 
Um, I don't know if I can even find it, honestly. But the funny thing is I wanted to have this chat like as a phone call, but ultimately the person that I needed to talk to was too busy. So we had it over like our, uh, like a chat, like a, you know, like the little Slack. teams, oh. Slack, like our version of Slack. Okay. So tell me and- exactly how you said it. Cause I feel like this is really helpful for people who don't know how to say it. They want to be firm. They don't want to come off as a pushover. They don't want to come off as an asshole. So I'd like to know like the so wording you was, use. I was like, um, I asked, like, I was like, like, basically she would not say, like, how many hours they wanted me, whatever. So basically I just, like, directly I was like, okay, how about from 10 to 3, Monday through Friday? And she – and and she still was like, yeah, like, that could work. Like, well, they, like, not a firm yes. So I was like, okay, I'm going to work this time moving forward until I'm told not to. Like, which she wow. had to, like, even if she, so basically, like, if she didn't say, she had to say yes or no, or like, even if, regardless of if she said yes or no, I said to her, this is what I'm doing. So it's right. in writing that I did that. And that so that if she messaged you at four and your phone's away in your pocket because you're on a bike ride, like, she's exactly. not, and she's, you know, that's on her because she didn't tell you that, you know, you're not working those. And like, that's good for you because then you know what hours to bill for. And And I think, but like I would have in the past just not done that probably and then felt really guilty if I wasn't around for a project. Right. Even though like. No, but now you can't feel guilty. So now I can't feel guilty. So it it feels good. And like, you know, even if no work comes in, because sometimes that happens, uh, I'm sitting here at my computer waiting for the work during that block of time. And you like, are time on the clock and your time is valuable yeah. and like you will get paid for so. that time that you're waiting for assignments to come in. But I have to say, I know other people that have had to navigate similar situations and that is something that really sucks about remote working. Yeah. that That's why, sorry if I was asking so many like specific questions that you weren't prepared to talk about in your little like chat, but I, I just, no, that's I, I didn't know this was the story you're going to tell and I think you did such a great job and that. I think it's going to be so relatable and even, you know, even myself, I would find exactly how I would want to know exactly how you approached it and exactly what was said and how the conversation went because I think it's a conversation other people that are listening to the show might need to have. So basically she was like, I don't know, maybe. And you said, okay, I, I just need to know when to be in front of my computer. So I'm going to work from 10 to three and those would be the hours that I'll bill unless you tell me otherwise, like, hope you understand. Is that basically like how exactly like, instead yeah, of like, like hope that's OK or like, is that OK? Were you like, we hope had, you understand. Right. I mean, like we had the conversation that led up to it. So it wasn't like just me being kind of like. Like coming up with this idea out of nowhere. But yeah, ultimately, I ended the conversation by being like, this is what I'm doing moving forward. You can let me know if you want that to change in the future. Yeah, if you have different hours that you want me in front of the computer ready to work, like, let me know. But I know, you know, you only want me to bill for 25 hours. So these exactly. are these are the hours I've come up with. If you want them switched, I'm flexible. But I just need to know when to be in front of my computer and on the clock. Yeah, right. good yeah. for you. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, I like, I think that people like... And she said yes. take advantage of a company. Like, it's just like, I want to, I can't do, I can only do the... The best that I can do for you if I have a clear understanding of when you want me available. And honestly, this is bad management because a good managers, what they do is they set expectations and they're very clear about that ex- the expectations. And 
there's no that way like they're not annoyed they uh you know there can be like a lot of passive aggressive stuff and at the end of the day what i always say is people are not mind readers so unless you are very clear with what your expectations right. are in terms of hours what um what you expect done during those hours it's not fair to the worker and it's not fair to you so yeah good managers will be very clear yeah. about their expectations I feel like I'm hearing about two different types of managers right now. There's like the ones who are like way too like kind of vague and hands off. And then I know other people who have people above them that are totally micromanaging. Well, and like sucks. I have a, I, have I a had one like, like that. Oh, their boss is like at, at the end of each day, I want you to send me a bulleted list of what you've done every hour of the day, yeah. which is crazy because if we were all working in person in an office, there are just days that are slow. Right. And like some days we all have days where like, Things don't get done. And I feel like you're just encouraging people lying by doing things like that. It's harder when you're working remote, but this would be my advice for those two different types of bosses. Cause I've I it's I've had both. When it comes to the micromanaging boss, I find that extremely hard to deal with. I don't actually have the best advice for that because sometimes they just have too much expectations. Like I had one boss when I worked at People magazine who I would need to send in news ideas while I'm working on an article. I'm like, I can't actually be, you know, while I'm working on like yeah, there are multiple articles. I'm like, I can't be doing two things at once. Either I'm researching pitch ideas to send you or I'm trying to finish this article as soon as I can. I'm very focused. I'm not just like browsing the internet or I will be browsing the internet if I'm doing the pitches, but but to look for pitches. And it was so frustrating. She'd be like, is the article done? Where are the pitches? I'm like, I'm doing one or the other and I'm actually like a very <laughs> quick worker. So the fact that I you're making me feel like I'm not quick enough is like, oh, she was the fucking worst. But when it comes to people that are very, you know, easy breezy, it's nice to have that freedom. Don't take advantage of it. Um, when I had an internship and I had, you know, bosses that were like that, I one thing I really prided myself in was taking initiative. So I would like come up with projects, not in a way where you feel like you're overstepping to on toes. But um, if I had nothing I, to do, I, I would say, hey, I don't have anything to do right now. Is there anything you want me to do? And they said, no, I'd be like, OK, great do you mind if I go and ask, you know, so-and-so if they need help? And I would go to like a different department or a different producer and I would just knock on the door and be like, hey, I'm interning over here in like, uh, you know, in, in production. They don't have anything for me to do right now. Can, is there anything I can help take off your table or help you research right now? Or I would like go sit in on like a taping. So that's what I did when I was an intern. And then I kind of tried to take that with me when I went to other jobs. And so let's say I was working in a magazine and, you know, there was no no articles for me to work on. I would then go to, uh, I would like go through my old interviews and be like, actually this part of this interview wasn't used. Walk over to the, the website and be like, Hey, um, this isn't going to go in the magazine. I think, you know, would you be interested if I would like write this up for an article for, for the site and ask them. So like take initiative, come up with things, you know, it might be nice to like have, feel like you have like a bunch of free time when you're not stressed out and like, you can go catch up on Netflix. But if you really want to get ahead, you know, one thing that I always said with people, with reporters that I oversaw was like, I can teach you how to be a good reporter and I can teach you how to ask questions, but I can't teach somebody to take initiative and to come up with ideas and, and to like think of work to do. And so I don't know. So yeah. So if you have like a boss that doesn't set parameters, you know, ask them very clearly, tell them when you have nothing to do and 
and be very be very clear about hours working remote. I think what Angela did was wonderful, and then I think you know a lot of people should should do that. So I don't know. That was a little all over the place, but that's my like random advice for yeah. Those I can't help as much with the nitpicky. Honestly, at the end of the day, I ended up like trying to switch departments to get away from this shitty ass boss. I know. I think that bosses like that, honestly, that's people that are insecure about their own ability to like lead and and make themselves uh, seen as a valuable member of the team. So they just try and do the most, but it but it's not is, like, helpful. A terrible way to lead. No, it was not helpful. Yeah. It was awful. I, it was such a stressful environment. And I'm like, I am an experienced journalist and you're making me feel like I'm not doing a good job for a very easy task that I'm doing. Like at that time, I was like helping out writing stupid captions on pictures. I'm like, I can do this in my sleep. And like the fact that you're bugging me that it's not done already when I'm truly very quick at this is insane. So I ended up just having to like try my best to like switch to a different department and get away from that boss because she was a psychopath. All right. Anyways, but that wasn't even what I was going to talk about this week. I wonder if I should just, yeah, I wonder if I should just, yeah, I'll just save what I was going to talk about because it's not even that fun. Um, We just, we had the really fun conversation of. I love shitting on my crappy (laughs) boss. Well, let me just say, I love my current, close to saying her name too, but I won't do that. Well, if anybody from my current position listens, I love my current position. I just, you know, we had to have a a conversation clarifying things and it it all worked out. I had to. I love it. I love everyone there and I don't want them to fire me ever. I'll be there. The two bosses that I had that I, I had three bosses, three, three, one was awful the, my first one that I had was amazing, but then she left the magazine and went somewhere else. The one that I do not like is still there. And then there's another one that I loved and she was an incredible mentor and was so great. She moved to a different state. She still worked there. I just like wasn't as closely underneath her anymore because she moved, but she was so good that the magazine wanted to keep her and she was incredible. But the one that I, the one that was like just a bad boss, like still there anyway. All right. On that note, it is time to jump into our mailbox. But first, let's take a quick sponsor break. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Squarespace. Think it, dream it, make it with Squarespace. Make it yourself. Easily create a website all by yourself. I am the most not tech savvy person ever. Maybe not the most. I'm not like a crazy old lady, but... I win. I'm the most. Really? Yeah. This isn't like... In this day and age, it's like not something to brag about, but I, I just want to say that because I've created so many Squarespace websites that look very professional and really nice and I've been able to figure it out. And whenever I get stumped on something, I just like shoot an email to their customer service and they will send me screenshots or talk me through it. And I don't know, I think our website looks really nice. This is why the podcast.com or lauralane.com or feminists fairy tales book.com or nicklovesLaura.com. Uh my wedding website. I have AngelaSparrow.com. Uh do you have a wedding website? Uh did you end I, up doing a Squarespace wedding website or not yet? Because you got depressed and sad about your wedding being canceled. I uh, <laughs> I did have a website, it but I never updated anything once everything fell apart. So it's just sort of like a sad little ghost of what would have been. Okay, so we're not gonna tell people where to go for that one yet. <laughs> 
It's, yeah, it's out of date anyway. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Well, tell people why Squarespace is the jam. And when you do need to get that wedding website up to date, when you have a date on the books for your magical wedding, it will be, you'll be able to update everything so fast all by yourself where that's all because of Squarespace. That's right. So yeah, if you're getting married, if you have a cool idea, if you want to showcase your work, all of those things warrant having a lovely looking website. So Squarespace gives you beautiful templates created by world-class designers. Um, They have built-in search engine optimization. They have a powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell things online. And they have 24-7 award-winning customer support. It's awesome. Check out squarespace.com slash single for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code single to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash single for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code single to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. What's in the mailbox? Okay. First up, we have a question from our listener, Emily, and uh, we had posted on Instagram about if anybody had questions about writing a book or publishing a book because uh, we wanted to do an episode about it, and we got a few questions, including this one. She says, hi, Laura and Angela. I'm a writer as well as a teacher, and I published three articles on Medium. One got featured in the startup, woohoo, Uh, But I'd love to get my freelance writing career slash side hustle going when I'm online teaching. What recommendations do you have for just starting free for a just starting freelance writer? I'm an English major and have my master's in teaching and would love to be writing more and utilize my skills and make more money too. Thank you both for all you do. Love you guys and the pod and hope you're continuing to stay safe and take care in quarantine. Um. Yeah, starting out freelancing is really, it's hard. It's its really hard to make those connections. I struggle now because a lot of the connections I had, they've either moved on or they're at publications that I either don't really want to write for or just wouldn't be a good fit. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to keep those connections going. A resource, and it's a group that I'm a part of that I would highly recommend anyone being a part of if they want to freelance, it's called Study Hall. It's studyhall.xyz, and they're just a huge freelance resource. You pay like a small fee every every month, and you get this database of editors and support from other freelancers and suggestions of pitches, and you can like workshop your pitches with people, and you get this like Slack group. Anyways, it's it's a huge it's a media newsletter and online support network for media workers. So I would check out Study Hall. That would be like my biggest. My biggest suggestion, I think publishing stuff on Medium is a great idea. You know, just getting your name out there with as many small blogs and websites as you can. Um, If you think your particular expertise as a teacher would be a good fit for, you know, a smaller website, you know, just reach out and say, I'm a teacher. This is what I teach. I think I, you know, I'd love to start contributing and just start out small and then work your way up to bigger and bigger publications. So I know that's kind of vague, but but the study hall will be a great a great resource. Um and yeah, just starting freelance writing. I don't know, there's a saying like that, you know, no place is a bad place to publish. I don't completely agree with that. I think like there are some sites that are just I don't know. At this point in my career, I just like wouldn't wouldn't write for, but when but when you're starting out 
unless it's a site that's just like very shady and like doesn't have good journalistic ethics and that writes stuff that's like just bad politically that you truly would not want your name associated with keep an open mind to places that are willing to publish you and even if they're small like a city paper or a I don't know like a small website of writing roundups of things to do in your neighborhood um just keep an open mind and you just never know um where you might find your little niche and then grow it from there so I don't know I know that's kind of do you have any advice Angela I think I mean I think for a lot of people who want to be published writers uh they spend a lot of time thinking about how to do it uh, and they'll almost think themselves out of actually writing the thing. So I think it's awesome that she's actually like gone ahead and published a few pieces on Medium because that's sometimes half the battle. Um, and yeah, everything you said, I think like you have this like your niche is that you're a teacher. So maybe look for like teaching blogs that you like that that publish other writers and, and maybe send them, yeah, some pitches about like education stuff because you have a hook there. Um, and I guess from an editor's perspective, I would say make sure – have somebody else look at it perhaps and make sure you have like spelling and grammar in check because people will take you more seriously if uh, it's been perhaps edited Right. Once. That's good good advice, especially when you're self-publishing. Yeah. All yeah. right. What else? Um, okay. Next, we have a question from an anonymous listener. And she says, should I copyright the title of my book before publishing? I'm still in the early stages of my book. So I would say a very strong no. I wouldn't do it. Um, Angela and I also copywriting, it's all very complicated. And I don't think you can just like copyright a title anyways. But like Angela and I had our sketch show called This Is Why You're Single. So in some ways you can like, but there was, I think we had published some videos online but then we found that there was like another web series called This Is Why You're Single. And there was actually another book called This Is Why You're Single. But anyways, your publisher will just like yeah. deal with all the legality around whether a title can be used or not. I think that the other book that was called This Is Why You're Single was like self-published. So it like maybe didn't count. I'm not sure. I don't know the legality. But your publisher will deal with that. And then another reason, an even bigger reason of why you shouldn't try to go through a bunch of like copywriting is you don't know if your publisher, you know, hoping you get one, will want that title. So for my new book, Cinderella and the Glass Ceiling, the title that we had pitched it as was Feminist Fairy Tales. And then like halfway through like writing the book, they came to us and said that the marketing team wanted the title to actually be one of the stories. So they didn't know which one, but they were like, we want one of the, we want the main title to be one of the specific stories in the book because it's a book of 12 different fairy tales that are retold through like a fe feminist lens. And they were like, but none of them are really working right now. Like none of them really work as the title. Cause I don't remember the Cinderella one had like a different title initially. I can't remember exactly what it was. And they're like, can you rewrite some of the titles for the different individual stories and give us some options? So we sent them back like 20 different options and then they really liked Cinderella and the glass ceiling. If you want some real inside stuff, that I thought that was just like a really good title. But the story didn't really have anything to do at the time with the glass ceiling. But they really wanted that. And I kind of explained. I was like, this is a really good title. Like Cinderella and the glass ceiling is like Cinderella and the glass slipper. 
But the book, like that title is more about like socioeconomics and it's not really about climbing the the ladder and breaking the glass ceiling. And they're like, well, we really want this for the title of the whole book. And I was like, well, fuck, okay. So then we had to go back and rewrite that individual story to make sure that it made sense with that being the title. So we went back and like rewrote it so that the glass ceiling was included. And really that was all like the marketing team wanting Cinderella and the glass ceiling as a title when that was not what we pitched. That wasn't even what the store, what that the title story initially was about. And it ended up being fine. It was actually like a lot of fun to do. And it wasn't, we weren't fighting it. I was like, I, I, my instinct was just to trust the marketing team. Cause we had a really good, good publisher that I, I trusted. And it wasn't, I'm like, you know, talking about the glass ceiling is a great concept to talk about too. Just wasn't initially included in that, in that, in that story in the book. So yeah, we actually had to like change the content to match what the marketing team wanted, but it wasn't anything that like went against my ethics or anything like that, where it was something I felt opposed to. But that's a long kind of insidery behind the scenes of how my title came about. So they ended up doing Cinderella on the Glass Ceiling, and then there's a subtitle that's And Other Feminist Fairy Tales. And that was something, yeah, that the marketing team thought would make a more catchy title than just having it vaguely be feminist fairy tales and I really like it and um and yeah I wasn't I, wa- I wasn't so sure about it at first but I really like it now and um it's yeah. a great title yeah it's a good title I wish I could find I should have prepared better and found all the other um titles I had sent them but um yeah that would be I, I would not I don't even know if you can just copyright a title ID idea I don't think that's even like allowed. Otherwise, people would just be like copywriting every potential title in the world like they do grabbing websites. But um, but yeah, don't do it. You but don't either know way, if that will leave. I, I, yeah, it e- sounds like either yeah, way, there's in the early stages. So either way, there's just literally no benefit to doing that. And I know you might worry that your title might get like scooped up, but like that could happen anyway. And maybe it could still be the title for some reason. So yeah. Right. Um, either way, it's it makes sense. If you're going to do it, if you can do it, wait till further along in the process and it's like an established thing and I just wouldn't do it I would I, you just leave it to your publisher like they'll deal with all the legality of like whether you can use a title or not so there's just no yeah I don't think you can just copyright a title I don't know um anyways there were other questions we got but I didn't pick them because I think we're going to answer them in the topic of the week which is happening next if you want your l- listener questions answered you can either like slide into our dms on instagram or you can email us at contact at this is why the podcast.com you can find all of our contact info and our, including our instagram and our email on this is why the podcast.com next we're going to dive into this week's topic and talk more about publishing but first let's thank our sponsor We'd like to thank our sponsor, Sakara. Staying healthy while staying at home shouldn't be an added element of stress these days. With Sakara's immune-boosting meals, you'll replenish your body with essential nutrients to help you feel like your healthiest and best self. One of my favorite things about having certain sponsors is when I was a big fan of the brand before they became a sponsor. There's a lot of brands we have that I didn't know about before they became sponsors, but it always just feels extra authentic when I was using the brand, was bragging about the brand, was shouting about the brand from the rooftops way before they were sponsored for our show. And Angela, how obsessed was I with Sakara? 
I was a little concerned because you were about to like start wearing the merch. You were like kind of – you were sounding like a cult member a little bit. <laughs> I know. I was like, I think she – it, it's definitely just a wellness brand, but the way I talked about it bordered on cult-like obsession. Right. But, you know, we could – the positive spin of that is you were just selling them really passionately. I mean, I just love them. I love their little pyramid chocolate probiotics. I love their metabolism powder that like got the bloating away. I love their food. I love that I don't have to freaking make the food, you know, like, I don't know. There's so many brands out there where they like send you all the ingredients and that's great and has all its benefits. But there was like a period of time where I was like, I don't have time. I don't want to cook right now. I'm just like not mentally there. I have to want to cook. And the food's already made. I just like heat it up or just eat the salads cold and it's great. They're a nutrition company. It focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. Angela, tell us about them. Okay. And I have to say I was also won over because once I started ordering the food, it like you really do just feel amazing when you're uh, sticking to the – I don't want to say the program, but like, you know, living the cigar life as you would put it. <laughs> I can't believe those words just came out of your mouth. <laughs> Uh, I can't yeah, believe you're a convert. Sac- you're a convert to my Sakara cult. I, I guess so. I'm wearing the tinfoil hat. So Sakara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall we- wellness, starting with what you eat. Their organic, ready-to-eat meals are made with powerful plant-based ingredients, and they are designed to boost your energy, improve your digestion, and get your skin glowing. The menu of creative chef-crafted breakfasts, lunches, and dinners changes weekly, so you'll never get bored, and it's delivered fresh anywhere in the U.S. Along with delicious meals, Sakara also has daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to support your nutrition to boost results. Try the best-selling Metabolism Super Powder, an all-natural remedy for bloating, weight gain, and fatigue. Sakara has received rave reviews from Vogue, Goop, and the New York Times, and more. Very and cool. Us. And us. Right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off your first order when you go to sakara.com slash single or enter code single at checkout. That's Sakara S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash single to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash single. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Adam and Eve. Angela, I'm so excited for this commercial because... Adam and Eve is back as a sponsor, and we are very excited um, because we love them. Adam and Eve. Yes, and they just fit our brand so well. They're very sexy and fun, and let's get to it. So, Adam and Eve says the best part of staying at home is playing at home. I told you this was going to be a fun ad. (laughs) Take advantage of the downtime and choose almost any one item at 50% off. When you do, you'll also get 10 free boredom-busting gifts, including six spicy movies, a three-piece bonus kit. We don't know what that is. It's a surprise. And best of all, free shipping delivered discreetly right to your door. That was us trying our sexiest voices. Yeah. You can, you can see why we need Adam and Eve to help us out a little bit. We need to order the DVDs, order the toys, because I don't know how sexy we sound right now. We're doing our best. Just remember to use offer code SINGLE. That's SINGLE at checkout. Adam and Eve has 
thousands of products to make you glad you are staying home. Sex toys make being at home so enjoyable. Hell, even shopping from home is more enjoyable when you are shopping sex toys. I don't disagree. I agree with everything. Go to adamandeve.com and use that offer code SINGLE. This week's topic is how to write a book. And this was inspired by a listener who wrote in to us about writing a book. Um, and she said, please do a show about authorship and how you got your book deal. Tell us how you found an agent, give tips for ins- aspiring writers, and talk about your thoughts on self-publishing. Thanks. Love you, ladies. Okay. Um, yeah. So – Obviously, we're not experts in the whole publishing world. I've published two books. Angela and I published one of them together so we can talk about our experience. Angela uh, and my book was published with a smaller publisher called Adams Media. They've since been bought by Simon & Schuster, which is bigger, but at the time it was considered a very small independent press. Um, My second book was with Seal Press, which was underneath Hachette, so it was like a bigger publisher. And there's no... It's not necessarily a ranking when it comes to the publishing world. Like certain indie publishers will publish certain types of books and like the big five will publish other ones. It's not necessarily better. I could get like so into this and talk forever about like the ins and outs of like of uh, of, you know, people are, people will be like, what's a normal advance? And like there is no normal advance because sometimes first time authors will get three thousand dollars but you get a book published and someone's paying you to publish a book and they're paying for they're paying to market it and they're paying to to print it and they're they're doing all that and like you should take that book deal because for the rest of your life you could say you're a published author other times you'll hear about the like hundred thousand dollar book deals like it it can be like anywhere in between there if you really want to know the ins and outs of the publishing world and and like self-publishing, indie publishing, the big five, I highly recommend a book called um, from an author named Courtney Mom. It's called Before and After the Book Deal. It's literally got everything you need to know. Even after publishing two books, I became a big fan of Courtney because she's uh, she wrote a book called Costa Legere that came out maybe last year. And I read it and really loved it. And then I wanted to see what else she had worked on. I'm like, funny enough, she's just like a very cool, kind person. She's written three novels. and felt like the publishing world was so convoluted and like things weren't clear and even published authors were like confused by the process of like getting a book deal and like what happens after you get the book deal and what the process is like and then marketing the deal and like she had this huge book deal for her first book and was sent out on tour which like practically never happens and she would show up at these bookstores and there would be like two people and she felt like she was a failure but But then the publisher was like, no, no, no. We just like want to get your name out there and like introduce you to like the bookstores. Don't worry. And I don't know. So after like this whole experience, like her experiences with like she had a big hit first book, but like kind of a weird tour. And then her second book she thought was going to be huge, but like wasn't as successful. And it was with a big publisher. And then her third book, she moved to like an indie press because it was kind of a more like niche historical fiction book that wasn't like very mainstream so she changed publishers after going through all this experience she decided to write this before and after the book deal and I learned so much so 
there's probably many questions you have deciding if an MFA is affordable, if that makes sense for you. Um, if you're trying to write a novel, definitely will like help you make connections and gives you a space to workshop your book and you'll meet authors and um, hopefully, you know, assuming your teachers are authors and you'll kind of hopefully learn the ins and outs. Um, but there's also tons of writing classes, especially a ton online. I love Gotham Writers Workshop. They have both in-person and I've taken a lot of the in-person classes in New York City. But if you just look up Gotham Writers Workshop, I think they actually have the domain writingclasses.com, which is like a crazy domain that they snagged. But they have a lot of online classes and I've taken their like essay memoir classes. I've taken their children's book writing classes. Um, personally, I don't think self-publishing made sense for me. It works for it works for some people. Like I don't. I'm trying to like if you're like especially if you're I don't know if you're like a therapist and you want to self publish your book to like give it to clients or something like that. I think it could like maybe make sense. Um, if you're writing something very that's just like hard to get published, like poetry, that it could make sense. It, I think it just depends. I think it's case by case. Um. But yeah, you know, you might just have to go the route of blindly emailing agents. You can go to seminars if we weren't in COVID where agents are and you can find out what they're looking for and like pitch them your idea. No matter what, don't quit your day job. Most authors have second jobs or they supplement their income by teaching, even like very successful authors like Courtney, you know, she teaches a lot of online writing classes and does a lot of paid talks. Um, only very few make six-figure advances. Most are very small, most advances. There are different kinds of publishing houses. There's micro-presses, non-profits, independent, for-profit, mid-house publishers, the big five. It like, really just depends what your book is, where it's going to fall. It's not a reflection on your writing. Some authors toggle between all those different publishers depending on what type of book they're, they're, they're pitching. Um, this is like, I feel like I'm teaching like a mini little class. So I'm, I'm going to talk, I'm just going to talk a little bit like overall stuff. And then Angela is going to take over and tell about our personal journey of how we got our book published. So a couple of things when it comes to writing a proposal, which is what you're going to have to do when you, before you try to get an agent, if it's a novel, these are just some, some quick rules that I feel like are just questions. I feel like people usually ask me. So I'm, I'm just kind of guessing what questions you listeners might have about the process. But if it's a novel, you need to write the full book. If it's nonfiction or a memoir, typically you can get away with a proposal with just some chapter examples. Um, don't worry so much about people stealing your ideas. Just get out there and like workshop your work. I, I hear that a lot. Like people are so worried about other people stealing their ideas, even like you know, I think it was like a genuine question or it was not a stupid question of whether to copyright your title, but don't worry about someone stealing your title or stealing your ideas and getting a book published before you. So many people get paralyzed about people stealing their book idea for a book they've still never written. Um, at the end of the day, lots of people have similar ideas. Parallel thinking's real, but it's about execution and just like workshop your idea and like get feedback and just don't worry about it. In the meantime, just keep writing. Try to build up your bylines. Um, a viral piece, if you're a journalist, will like help sell a book. That's, you know, it shows publishers that people are interested in the topic that you were writing about. I've heard of many cases where some viral piece got someone a book deal. 
um, we had my my two books, the one I did with Angela and my new one that I did with another writing partner, both um, started out as sketch shows. And that kind of helped because it proved that there was like an audience that was interested in the content. So whether it was with Angela uh, and our show, we had a sketch show that ran for a couple years about dating and they were the shows were selling out, even though it was like a small audience because the theaters were small. It it just showed that people were really interested in what we had to say and our take on it and it helped get the book deal. Um, go to attend a lot of virtual book readings and ask questions. Hear from real authors. When things go back to normal-ish, go to live book readings. But when you go, I've been I've been attending a lot of viral book readings and it's just so great. You hear the author read their work in their voice and then they usually take question and answers on Zoom afterwards. And you learn a lot about their process and you can even ask them, like, how did you get this book deal? And everybody, everybody's trajectory and everybody's journey of how they ended up getting their book deal is different and their story of how it came together is going to be different. So just hear as many stories as you can. But we're not experts. I would read Courtney's book if you really want like a full picture because she interviewed something like 200 industry people and authors um, and and really covers the spectrum. But Angela, that was a lot of me just like talking about questions I'm assuming people will have about the process or at least when people ask me about it, it's the first questions that they they say. But tell people how we came about our book deal. Well, I would say, first of all, obviously, Laura is a wealth of information and is a wonderful resource for these sorts of things and just goes to show uh, why you should take a class because you will meet people like Laura, like I did, (laughs) Um, and uh, people that come to this with all different backgrounds and all different levels of experience. And uh, if you're looking to work with someone else, you can have a great uh, partnership with somebody who maybe doesn't – who knows stuff that you don't know about the industry, like Laura and myself um, when we first started. Um, and also just, yeah, obviously a great way to like get the ball rolling with ideas and uh, get feedback and read things out loud for other people to hear and, and not have them just live inside your head. I, I am a huge advocate for – going and just doing a writing class and not having to go like and spend a lot of money on like a grad school program like you were saying or or even you know I my I didn't go to school for writing like my my undergrad was I was communications which you know whatever the hell that is I did like these little writing classes at our comedy theater the pit and and that's where we met really affordable and they were invaluable um so uh yeah we did our writing class we met we decided to write about dating, not because it was like the hot thing to be writing about at that moment. It was just like what was going on in our lives. And then what wound up happening was it became very much something in the zeitgeist that everybody was writing about. So it was like we got lucky, right time, right moment. We got lucky, but also it was because I think, you know, we sort of had our ear to the ground and we knew like it's a good idea to write about like if there's a topic that just seeps seems to keep coming up over and over again and you feel connected to it you should write about it yeah but don't don't do it because you think it's gonna sell because if it's by the time I don't know it's hard Angela because like by the time some something's like all over the place there's probably like a million people pitching it like I remember when we pitched Cinderella on the glass ceiling 
we got told by a lot of female publishers that flat out said to us, there's too much feminist material out there, which is like crazy to hear. And like, people are like, Ooh, when I said that at like a book reading before COVID shut down our little mini book tour. Um, but yeah, it's funny. They were like, there's just so much. We got told like, we love the book idea. There's just too much feminine. Like the, the shelves are flooded with like feminist stuff. It's like, well, I think that's why it works. We're just for us, fucked up to hear. Of, we, we like authentically came to the topic, right? Like kind of like a hair of a second before other people did. Like it felt like everybody yeah, yeah, started yeah. writing about it after it, but we just like, it was like an authentic, like this like feels like it's everywhere, but other people aren't writing about it. And so granted, we... like people had been writing about dating. People have been writing about dating since like humans existed. But, but Tinder I think was, was new. But Tinder was new. So it was like it was like a whole new phase was happening. Like there was the men like there was the book Why Men Love Bitches and he's just not that into you. And like those existed and those were like the the quote unquote like Bibles beforehand. But Tinder was brand new. And so it was like yeah. a new online dating like movement, I guess. Yes. So anyway, so that's how we landed on the topic. Uh, we did our sketch show. We kind of got press organically, honestly, uh, but having press helped get attention of a manager. Yeah, I definitely asked for favors, but the two press pieces that actually helped, one was like getting in the New York Times comedy listings that helped sell our show out. And then the second was the Wall Street Journal Journal were like no contacts that I had. Yeah. Um, We got our manager. Through him, we got a book agent. Um, it happened almost too easy for us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, and then, yeah, with our – we've talked about this before on the show, but with the book agent, she was like, give me a book proposal, and we Googled how to write a book proposal. Uh, it was all online, which is why I think it's really interesting that you were saying, like, that the book that you read about the publishing world, she talks about how everything is sort of shrouded in mystery and nobody really knows what they're doing. Uh, because right. that's definitely how we felt. And the only way we learned what we were doing was A, through Googling and B, like asking other people who had done it before. Yeah, but I don't even know if we saw any examples of book proposals. I can't even think that we – I can't remember if we did. But I think our book proposal actually was amazing because it's the same template that I used for my second book. And it really didn't change that much. I think we just – we really researched. We did a really great job. Like – I don't know, we could get into like the nitty gritty of the sections, but like it was like about us, our little bios, all the press. We Then there was like a press page, you know, you had a table of contents. It was like about us or maybe the about us was not the front. I think it was about what the book pitch was, is like the front page and like quick little recap of what the book is, how it's going to be structured, how many pages, what the word count is, examples of chapters and then who we are, and then a press page, and then like how we plan to market it, and like how we can use our platform yeah. to market the book, and then you know a bunch, and then you know however many example chapters. But it ended up being like fifty page book proposal, like pretty hefty and like really really detailed of of like a entire marketing plan. Like you don't just leave that to the marketing Honestly, team. I'm sure if we wrote it today, they would want to see that we had like a social media following. Yeah, so that's probably a good thing to work on. If if you're trying to yeah. develop a sort of brand around yourself, because I, I mean, like you said, there are people unless who it's get like a novel, of viral though. tweets. Unless you're writing a novel, though, I think I think it matters less if you're trying to write a novel. If you're trying to write, yeah, anything else, yeah, you kind of need to have a following nowadays. It makes it. It's honestly, 
it's not fun. That that part of it's not fun because yeah, they yeah. they want you to be able to like market your own your own book. Um right. but then yeah, so then our book our book got published. It was like a small publisher. It wasn't like a very easy process writing it because we like disagreed with the publisher about some of the content, but in the end, like I really loved the book we came up with. It's a combination of like short, humorous, fictional stories, which was what we were passionate about. We just wanted to tell like we wanted to just have a book of short stories that were fiction and they really wanted advice. So we added an advice element and kind of ended every story with advice. And I like what we came up with and I think it's really fun. And yeah, I ended up, I, I really do like the book we came up with. And I think it still holds up today, but then Me too. I was back to square one when it came to my second book. Cause I, I had did a new sketch show and it's funny cause you would have thought that like the whole plan along was to write a book, but I didn't think of it till like after the show was like pretty much over. I was like, do you think I could turn these into like a book? Would anyone want that? And, but by that point, our, our agent had like left the industry. So I was agentless. And actually in between then I had tried to pitch another book that was like a book of essays I had written and that just like never went anywhere. I actually forgot about that. So I had another agent for like a hot minute where I was pitching a book of essays that I had like workshopped in a class and didn't get that published and then came around to this idea and was kind of back to square one but luckily at the time I was taking a class which is why I believe so fully on, in classes and I was just chatting at my teacher and I had sent my book proposal for feminist fairy tales which became Cinderella on the glass ceiling to Angela and my old editor and he was interested in it and was like he was like I think this could work and I need to get it like approved by the sales team and so I was talking to my teacher. I'm like, I think I might have like a book deal, but I have no agent. I don't know what to do. And he's like, let me put you in touch with one of my former students who's like a really great agent. I can't promise anything. And if she says no, don't be a weirdo. Because one time I <laughs> put her in touch with another student. And when she turned him down, he wrote like a nasty email to her. And I was like, I would never fucking do that. I'm not a freak. And that person's a psychopath. And I'm so sorry that that happened. And I'm also grateful that that has not like soured you on ever introducing anybody ever again. But yeah, if, if someone turns you down, don't ever write a bad, nasty email. You don't know when they're going to come back in your life. Always be grateful and gracious. Um, and so anyways, I hit it off with her. It turned out that Angela and my old publisher, the sales team, just thought it wasn't going to work. And maybe they were worried that like the market was too overcrowded with feminist material, which is like so nuts. But um. It, it worked out for the best because we ended up with this like publisher that just really, really, really gelled with us. And like, we just had a great experience with, so yeah, I got my teacher, I got my agent through a teacher and our first agent was through a manager and we got our manager through an old coworker of mine who had like seen a press piece about our show and said like, maybe you want a manager. Let me put, put you on an email with this guy I know. And so that's how it worked. It all kind of worked through like acquaintances or classes. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's all get yourself out there. And I think the only other thing uh, that was surprising to me about the process was once we got a publisher, uh, I guess I was like, I didn't really know what that would like what that would mean in terms of what they provided for us. Because I feel like I always assumed that when people had a book published, the publisher did the promotion for the book as well. We had and a very we learned... small publisher that did not help that much. Yes. 
Uh, so that is something that was very surprising to me about the process was when it came time, the book was like out in the stores, which is really exciting. But for people to actually know that it existed, that was all on us. But what was so we ended up hiring our own publicist, which, yeah, this is in the book. She'll Courtney Mom's book. She'll talk all about like whether you should hire a publicist or not. We did. And it's funny because this way your single got a shit ton of press. Like our book got a lot of press. It got like excerpted places and it was it got a, a lot of press. And then we had like an amazing publisher for Cinderella and the Glass Ceiling. And it just like barely got any press. I think also COVID happened like the week it launched, which just like that was all anybody was talking yeah. about. They're not going to talk about feminist fairy tales. Um, but yeah, you just like never know. Because at the beginning they were like, we're going to try to get you on late night shows. And like, and like we were sitting around like a big um, in the like, you know, offices like around like a big conference table with like the heads I felt like wow this is a big deal and the publisher the publisher walks in she's like I'm obsessed with the book oh my god vagina Bob, I'm dying I'm dying and like (laughs) and like I was like wow this is like we're such a big deal and and it was like night and day like with this is why you're single we had to pay out of our advance for our illustrator and with this they like you know, negotiate, they negotiated the illustrations on their own. Like, I don't even know how much she got paid. And, but we, and we had like a big say we got, to, well, actually Angela and I got to pick the illustrator too. They just had to approve it even though we were paying for it, which was crazy. But, um, but yeah, they like, we, with, they, we like suggested the illustrator and then they contacted her and they did the negotiations. And like, we were like so happy with the illustrations of Cinderella and the Glass Ceiling. And like, yeah, Nicole Miles was amazing. And it was just, yeah, it felt like such a, it felt like, oh my God, I'm on like another level here. And then COVID happened and what, or maybe the feminist market is overcrowded. What do I know? Um, I blame COVID. Yeah. Yeah. It was bad timing, but um, yeah, I'm still really proud of the book. And that was how we got our two book deals. So I don't know. I hope that answered some of the questions. I know I'm like talking up Courtney's book, but I just finished it and it was so helpful even for someone that's written two books. And now I'm trying to work on a children's book and I'm working with my agent on, on that. So we keep going back and forth on different versions. So I don't know, maybe I'll come back on the podcast. I pray I can like sell this children's book idea and then maybe I'll be able to tell my experience of that world, which will be, I'm sure entirely different, but how to write a children's book or I'll fail and not fail, but maybe it, or it won't happen. And then I'll talk about the journey of failing at writing both a essay book collection and children's book. But you know, you'll figure out what your next book is after those two. Yeah. You got to just keep trying, keep trying. I mean, now is not the time for me to write an essay book. Like nobody wants to hear from me about my life, but, um, maybe I'll try. Maybe maybe one day you could write a COVID diaries book. Yeah. there Because I'm sure there'll be no shortage of those. No shortage. No, I think Zadie Smith, like, Hers was the only one that anyone needs to read. She she I wrote she wrote one that's like fantastic and it's and yeah she like somehow wrote it in COVID and it's already out and it's amazing and nobody needs to write another COVID uh, diary after Sadie Smith does mm-hmm. one. Anyways, um, next up we're gonna talk about what's in the news. Great. Are we doing a are we doing a break? No, we're not doing a sponsor break. We're just gonna talk about what's in. The what we're reading. Okay. All right. So I'm focusing. I'm focusing. What you been reading, Angela? We're wrapping up the show. We're wrapping up the show. Um, I'm talking about the Royals this week. So New York Magazine 
wrote about how Megan and Harry moved to Santa Barbara. Um, this is by I love Sankita this for them. Sing Kurtz. I know. You know what? People are so insane. Anybody who wastes their time like getting mad at them for leaving the family and like Megan breaking up the brothers, like get a life. Please get a life. If you if you if anybody that's watched like The Crown knows, like, of course, she wants to get the fuck out of the royals. I'm sure on the outside she like fell in love with Harry, thought this is going to be great life. I care about changing the world. She was already working for the U.N. She's thinking like I can actually make a big change in the world. And then she gets there and realizes it's a bunch of like political bullshit. She's stifled. Her voice is stifled. And like she's sick of all the racist haters. And she's like, get me out of here. Yeah. And I also think it's so ridiculous how people act like she's the one pulling the strings. Like, is it so hard to believe that Harry was over it? He like, was always over it. Yeah. he's He's been over it. So I think they're both happy. I'm very happy for them. They're in Santa Barbara with Archie, their baby. Um, it says the couple's reps confirmed that the Duke and Duchess have bought a home a few hours outside of LA that is close to Megan's mom, Doria. So that's awesome. They're by Megan's mom. Uh, the spokesperson also said that they have settled into the quiet privacy of their community since their arrival and hope that this will be respected for their neighbors as well as for them as a family. Imagine being Harry and Megan's neighbor. I know. That'd be cool. I um, mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure where they live, everybody has like palatial estates and they're not sure. quite like on top of each other. Uh, Santa Barbara is really nice. I spent a lot of time there. I almost went to UC Santa Barbara for college and then I did not. Um, but yeah, it's great. I think it's a good move because it's close to Los Angeles where they can still, you know, she could do her her voiceover for docu- for stuff. more elephant documentaries and <laughs> they can like do their little, you know, whatever Hollywood deals that they want to do and like quickly jet over to LA, but they're like out of LA. I do worry they're going to be like a little bored. There's not a whole lot to do in Santa Barbara and it's going to be like a little night and day. But for right now, when we're still kind of in quarantine and and like with COVID, I think it's just like a good move for the next couple years. I know that they're saying that's where they're going to like raise him, but oh, I'm interested to see how long that will last. I think they might get a little stir crazy. And if Either they, way, well, I don't know, but, but we'll see. I, Santa Barbara, it's, it's stunning. It's beautiful. If they really just want to be like out of the public eye for a hot minute, but still close enough to be able to jet down to LA real quick. It's like a perfect move. It's also cool that Archie can have somewhat of a shot at having a normal upbringing, but also funny how like, uh, Harry will not be able to relate to that. I like, know. I don't think he'll really be able to give him advice on like normal childhood stuff. I know. Because he was always just busy being a prince. But they'll figure it out. They'll work it out. My favorite fun fact from this article, by the way, I had no idea. When they first uh, got to L.A., they were renting uh, Tyler Perry's house. Oh, that's funny. living in Tyler Perry's house. Medea's house. I didn't know that. That's funny. Yes. Uh, that, that was my main takeaway from that article. Great, great, great. So uh, I was reading about how Time Out New York is officially ending its print edition. This is an article by Rachel Sugar. I think I read about this in New York Magazine. Uh, I didn't write down where I was reading this. Oh, yeah. Not in Time Out New York. No, I didn't read about it in Time Out New York. (laughs) Funny enough. Um, But yeah, it's sad. It's like an end of the era. Do you remember like back when we used to take subways, how they would hand out those Time Out New Yorks? And you'd yeah. read them, and you'd read them on the subway. That was like 
I was a huge part of my whole 20s when I was commuting to offices was getting those like people that would hand out time out in New York and you thought that they were like you're like no I don't want your you know I don't want to be part of your cult and then I'd find out it was like time out in New York I'd be like oh yes I would like a time out in New York thank you very much right time out in New York is actually the rare free paper that people want to read it was yeah. like the iconic New York paper yeah and it was free and it was fun and it had like great tips of stuff to do in New York it was like very New York-y um I had two coworkers that went on to become editor in chiefs of Time Out New York and a couple other coworkers that went to be writers. So yeah, I'm very sad. Like they would they were cool, but more than that, this is what the article says. They focused on off off Broadway and hole in the wall restaurants and its event listings. And the publication was, even at its peak, mostly event listings, filled with things a regular person might actually be able to see, eat, and do. And that's just like it's hard to find that anymore you know so luckily it will still live online right yeah yeah I think it's gonna still live online but it's just not the same as like someone throwing it in your face is this related to COVID is that why I'm sure it was like an eventual thing they would just like they it was not profitable anymore yeah so it's not related to people not wanting to interact and touch I don't know. And- uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't even think about that. Because um, I do think at the be- at the height of everything when we were figuring out how it was spread and stuff, they, they stopped. You know, there's boxes throughout the city with different free papers and they stopped filling those up because they didn't want people touching them. Yeah. They said after uh, a coronavirus-induced publishing freeze, Time Out, res- Time Out resumed print editions in London and plans to return to Madrid and Barcelona. As for the rest, it's not looking great. The group is unlikely to resume printing in the U.S. and Portugal with other territories under review by management. It seems, at least in this case, doomsayers are right. New York is over, at least the print edition. So, Wow. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Don't like it. I'm sad. Well, on that sad note, that's it for this week's This Is Why podcast. We hope that this was informative for anybody that is looking to publish a book that was just our little experience we're not experts we're only experts in our our two little books uh check out our book if you want to actually read the books we got published this is why you're single in my book cinderella and the glass ceiling and other feminist fairy tales they're available on amazon barnes noble and we encourage you to get them from your local indie bookstores yeah. And you get hooked up with discounts from all of our sponsors. So for a full list of sponsors and the codes, check out our podcast page on thisiswhythepodcast.com. We are also on social, so you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at thisiswhypodcast. You can always slide into our DMs there with any questions for the show. Please like and subscribe on iTunes. And thank you for listening. Tune in next week for a whole new show. Bye. Bye. This is why, this is why, pop culture, politics, friendship, dating, work, parenting, news. This is why, the podcast. That was a HeadGum Podcast.